0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika, and this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures.
1: Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you.
2: In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5E's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators.
0: Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary.
2: A message from friends of the show. Do you love Marvel but are tired of hearing Cheeto stained white guys talk about it? Are you hoping to see the X Men and Avengers face off? Do you secretly want to be Jessica Jones or Daisy Johnson? Or do you want to be with Valkyrie? If so, you've found your new favorite podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris and Madam Amy, and we are here to give you the commentary you want. Marvel. Minus the mansplaining. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams assemble. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So this is going to be a departure for our normal episodes tonight. This is going to be like an interview where the three of us get to talk to each other, which would be cool. I have had this one circled on my calendar for a while I'll to go ahead and sit down and be able to talk about a labor of love and labor and love, both being the key words about the work that we put in this past uh, this past winter, leading up to the release of The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse on April 7th of this past year. A 65-page book of backgrounds, equipment, magical items, feats, adversaries, plot books, and our all-new poultice of healing crafting rules and a capybara under a tree the <laughs> capybara under a tree <laughs> exactly yeah exactly we'll go around for like surface thoughts here but I'll, i will share mine first i am really proud of this book i'm really proud of the work that we did i can assure everybody out there listening that uh that this took a lot more work than I thought it was going to pull together, which I think which we learned a lot, I think, in the process of putting together this book. I and mean, we're really able to go ahead and put out something that, that I believe very strongly in as a product, as a quality product, and that I'm really proud of. That's just my, my initial kind of thoughts on that. Glenn, what about you? What are your thoughts on the book? How does it strike your fancy? So,
1: yeah, we totally were biting off more than we realized we were going <laughs> to attempt to chew when we started this project. <laughs>
2: Shocked! I'm shocked then, that we would do such
1: a thing. And <laughs> in, in our initial, uh, our initial planning phases, we planned for gra- grander extravagance than we, we learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. So you, you definitely said that, but I loved it. I really did. There were parts of it that were stressful. There were parts of it that were late night and mind-racking. But all of the pieces and the collaboration and working together on the story and even the mechanics, mechanics. I can't say they're fun to write, but they're interesting to write if that makes any sense. So overall, I think we put out something that we can definitely be proud of, and it definitely showcases a lot of the things we talk about in our show. First thing and right up front in our first section is backgrounds, because we love background, we love detail, we love history. And I think we put a lot of that into it. I think our next publication will be better from the lessons that we've learned, whether it's bigger or smaller, regardless. I think the lessons we've learned here, just like the lessons we learned from the Traveler's Guide to Collaborative World Building influenced this one, and I think it's just a sign of even greater things to come. I'm excited to talk about it tonight. It's yep. going to be a little weird talking to ourselves about our own thing, but since there's three of us, I think we can pull it off. I think we can pull
2: it off too. Yeah, I'm, right, I'm pretty. I, Lee,
0: yeah, I'm pretty jazzed about pulling this one off. I think uh, without repeating what anybody has already said, absolutely enjoyed this writing process. We have worked together for over on tabletop journeys for uh, a year and a half now, just about. We have been friends for the three of us, 20 plus years. And Glenn and I go back even far longer than that there. I've had certain gray hairs almost as long as we've been friends, I think. But what I really loved. (laughs) Not sure. I like the implications of that statement. I got gray. I went gray very young. (laughs) Oh,
1: acknowledged it's you're attributing some of that responsibility to me that i
0: yes but i really enjoyed the process of writing with both of you i feel that it brought out the best in my writing And my technique and my style, I feel that without you guys, I wouldn't have produced quite as good a product. And I've learned some lessons and some things I can take away that I can do in our later projects together and anything that we might do separately. I think we all have some things that we've taken away from this that we can really work with. I find that the mechanics we worked on, I found them fun to write because I did it from the envisioning, I'm a player now. What am I going to have fun doing? What's going to make me want to take this feat? What's going to make me want to pick up this weapon? What's going to make me want to do this? And then similarly, as a storyteller, what's going to be fun for me to put into an encounter? And I, that's what I really love about this book. We put in things that players will enjoy to play and that storytellers will enjoy to run. And I think that's a special mix. Like a lot of times there are books that are one or the other. I love the fact that this is a bit of both. Yep. And, and I think that's my overview. Like I love the fact that
2: this is both. And I got to do it with uh, two of my best friends. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Like that, working with you guys, all of us complemented each other's skills in this book. Like Glenn, you were talking about how like writing mechanics wasn't necessarily your favorite part. I I would sit down and write mechanics all day long. I, I am down for that as long as you make my language look really pretty when I'm done. That's I'm totally cool with that. And Louie, Niki, your creative spirit, Amen. the stuff that you would you'd spit out, uh, that. I got to go ahead and you were like giving me lumps of modeling clay and that you needed me to go ahead and make it into a tower. And I was like, oh, I'm totally out. You were spitting out such good clay; it was fantastic. Really, I think that that this was a great team effort, and that's one of the things that I think I'm most proud about in the book. Here is that that we really look. There, there were some long nights. There were some contentious conversations. There were some uh, <laughs> there was some contentious chats back and forth. Like that's there, there was a there was a little bit of that, especially towards the end. But but really, I think we we worked well as a team here, and that was that's really cool. So. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say, we could sit here and tell each other how wonderful we are all night long, but let's like actually get into the book here. Lou and Nico, why don't you start tonight? Toss, a, toss something out there. What is it that you want to talk about with the book? I'm interested to know,
0: because we had a, a great process where we all said, here are all the things we want in the book. Everybody go write stuff, and we'll come back in, I believe it was two weeks was the first meeting, and then we'll see what we have and go from there. I'm interested to know, and I'll ask first to you, Glenn, and second to you, Josh. Do you remember what the first thing you wrote for the book was?
2: Ooh, specifically for the book, or the first thing that I yes. wrote? On. Yeah, yeah.
1: The very first thing that I wrote for the book, straight up as its own thing, versus editing something somebody else has already put in, was the Cosmic Stowaway. All right. I started with backgrounds. I was doing, I was heavy into research, trying to make sure that we could be, honestly, I was trying to pre-plan knowing that we had stuff coming out from D&D, from Wizards of the Coast. I was trying to pre-plan for what may or may not come if we got Spelljammer, if we got a remake of uh, Planescape. So my first two were first the Cosmic Stowaway, which is Spelljammer-based background, and then the one immediately to follow it was the Sigil Lightbearer, which is a Planescape background. Those are the first two things I wrote. Excellent. Cool. They remain like some of my favorite babies. They were awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's actually it's it's funny that you mentioned that. That's a what a really great question. First of all, Leonica. that's a fantastic question because I hadn't thought about this ahead of time. And so a lot of what I started with, a lot of the material that I started with for the book was stuff that I'd already written, stuff that I'd play tested either in my campaign or in the Patreon AP or whatever. But the first things that I wrote expressly for the book were the series of feats that that i authored right so there are the elemental nature feats which in their original version there was only one of them there wasn't there weren't four of them There was only one of them and then the master of time and space the nerif charge the phase shift and slicing the weave all of those feats were generated by basically going through like old first and second edition planescape books old books like of that genre old Dark Sun books and stuff like that, looking for races that had particular abilities or stuff like that that hadn't made the jump yet to D D fence. So I was looking to say, okay, what are what's something cool that the nerifs can do that I can make into a feat? And that's what became Nerif's charge. Or what's something cool that the Narilli could do that that isn't in 5e yet? That became slicing the weave. So like it became all these various things and doing that research part and breaking them up and bringing them into feats specifically in the new book. That was an awful lot of fun, Glenn. You're absolutely right. Like now that I think about it, like, those are those, I think those kind of like original pieces of nope, this is the shape that the book is taking. And this is what I want to say in that space was really cool. So what about you? What was, what's the thing that you wrote expressly for the book? It's so I had written a number
0: of things that I knew at some point we were going to put into publication. So for the mm-hmm. last, since we started the podcast, Whenever I homebrew something for my Land of 18 Seas campaign, I would write it in a way for a future publication. We didn't have this title or the specific publication in mind, but there were a number of magic items that I had written specifically in the past that I had set for our publication. I was waiting for the right publication to, to trot those out. They didn't fit any of the things we did earlier but when this came up, that was definitely one of the, the, those magic items were among the first things, but I wrote those. And that but I think the first thing that I wrote specifically for this was the domestic service. And that went through a lot of permutation. So what we got for final copy is not exactly what i started with and thankfully (laughs) Um, i had a brilliant idea but it was not coming together well to start with and uh, when i talk about why i you guys have brought out better than me that's a perfect example it is a great background that adds a lot of sauce like i just kind of knew because i'm a big downton abbey fan and back in the days of yore used to watch reruns of Upstairs, Downstairs, and I loved shows like Benson. I liked that interplay between the wealthy and the servant class and how that worked out. I think Game of Thrones has great examples of that all over it, especially with House Stark and the way things work there. And I wanted to have something that kind of encapsulated the energy of all of those things, but still produced heroes. And so I knew what I wanted, and it took some good nudges you two to help bring it all the way there but that was one of the first things i started writing and i absolutely enjoyed it
2: yeah
1: yep and i'm going to be honest when you first pitched that to me i was a little bit like "Mm, not sure how many people were going to get want to play a background about being the servant in some big lord's (laughs) manner but by its final incarnation you're not wrong it is it's hot it's a great background all of us put a solid amount into it but it, it came out of it was the yeah. clay that lee spat out it's fantastic by the time it was done right down to the way we started it because it was important that we make sure that we're saying and that's where the difference was for me i was struggling with the old view of a, a servant or being subservient or the way like service people are treated in a lot of movies and tropes but that's not the kind of game we write and that's where my mind was wrong about it when i read it the first time when i was first working on it and yep. right down to the way we start the lines for it for the very first line is service does not mean subservient and domestic service professionals are fully aware of their worth. Like from the beginning, we cut that part out and, and really made it sing. So great idea. And yeah.
0: And honestly, more so than most backgrounds, most back, a lot of people approach backgrounds and clearly we don't. We've talked about it at great length. A lot of people approach backgrounds as here's the stats you get, build your character, use it to get a few things. I pick backgrounds to build the character and uh, where they came from and inform mm-hmm. their actions and their wants. So it's part the of their story, the personality trait, the ideals, the bonds, the flaws. And we put a lot of effort, even though it came very late in the writing process. A lot of effort went into those areas. And uh, honestly, on that particular background, those bonds and flaws are thick sentences. Those are Oh, yeah, we've old, got. Thick little chunks there, and I would encourage anybody who's getting this book to really take a look at those, because if you're looking... if it, Throughout if, all of
1: our backgrounds, we have yeah, yeah. very unique flaws, bonds, and traits. There are some yeah. that are on the generic side, but we have some very unique ones specific to the backgrounds. Yeah, there's meat yeah. on those bones.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you've got a character that you want to do... Th- I, like, I'm thinking Lone Wolf and Cub. I'm talking the that the, the house guard is technically a servant. He's technically a domestic. The whole... You it can know, cover so many things. Think of critical role, right? At the, and this is not yeah. to say that I can do anything better than M- Matt Mercer did or whatever. But think about another version of that. Uh, family gets uh, t- taken out of their home. The children are running. But who take, takes them? The house servant takes them. Mm-hmm. And th- you're playing the house servant. The NPCs are the family kids. But you're the house right. servant protecting them. That's a hot story. And it's been done. It's a trope. Right. In the 80s, The Adventures of Matthew Starr comes to mind with with, the Lou Gossett Jr. All kinds of shows have been about the house servant who takes care of and raises the child. Alfred Pennyworth, anyone? Uh, A great inspiration to this. He's one of the coolest characters in comic books, period. I'll I'll die on that hill. But let's be honest. He's the domestic servant, but yet he has his own television show. That went for a couple seasons. He's had uh, specials and books, and he's clearly there has never been a Batman show that didn't show Alfred in some aspect, and there's a reason for that, right? And, and to be I fair, think that that's very cool. And to be
1: fair, uh, Alfred as an older. Domestic servant who never went into an adventuring path specifically on his own. That's still that's telling his story. But your story, if you're running a player that chooses this background, can be you might have been a young servant in that household under Alfred. You get inspired. So you learn the same skills, but you step up into Robin's shoes, as an example, and then later into Batman. And that's how a background transitions into the hero story arc and one of my favorite things about this background and this was just the initial question but look at how much we're spending on this one is that (laughs) it's such a kit like this doesn't tell you what you are it just says that you're domestic service after that you choose whether or not you're working the face of the household front of house or behind the scenes for back of house and the proficiencies that you choose are what are specifying your occupation within the household yeah. So you can so mold you're literally st- writing your own story with this, which is, it's one of the coolest backgrounds, the way that we set it
2: up that I've seen. Yep. Totally agree. I love totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Cool, all right, excellent. See, we're cruising right on through here. This would be fantastic. I'm going to toss out a prompt here, and this time, uh, Lee and Nika, I'm going to ask you to answer first, and Glenn, I'm going to ask you to answer second. So, okay, we very intentionally wrote this book as a player's companion to the lineages and the races that appear in the new Martin Canons book. That was our intention, right? Is so that we knew that was a without going to be a knowing book what was in it? Of, so complicated. Right. Yeah, well, we knew that it was going to be a book of races and lineages and everything like that. And what we wanted to do is, we wanted to provide everything else that a player would need to go ahead and, and take one of those lineages and make a player, right? Other than subclasses. We didn't dive into subclasses for some particular reasons. We're not going to get into that. As the book was going along. Because we were scared. A, <laughs> a little bit. And we didn't have that much playtest time. But we didn't have as, time as the to book was test, going yes. along. And just after it was completed, Spelljammer was whispered and then talked about and then fully announced. So my question for you is, what part of this book do you think works best, either with the Mordenkainen's material, which you're the only one that's read half of, or in a Spelljammer campaign? I think that there's a ton of stuff in here that could work in that sort of Planescape Spelljammer-type campaign. What part do you think, Lewinika, works best? So... I truly believe the backgrounds are,
0: and the feats, are your best friend for working with Morden Cadence. Having read most of the new race slash lineages that are there, they are awesome. They've done some really cool things with that book. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun once all of that goes 100% live and starts being incorporated players at my tables will be invited to make automatic changes and we'll just backstory we'll we'll wreck on it and i would probably recommend as long as there's not a story reason not to that storytellers and dms out there do the same give your players the freedom to pick the pick whichever they think is coolest and let them roll with it that would be my suggestion so i do think uh the backgrounds to give better options and different options and unique options look we've been playing this game for six years now, some more than that, some less than that. I'm probably in the three and a half to four year range at this point. I've done pretty much all of the backgrounds that showed up in the player's handbook. I've done a couple of the ones that have showed up elsewhere. And we now know that the wave of the future is going to be deeper backgrounds that have more story involved through various means are going to get a little more powerful. There's gonna, They're going to have more things attached to them. And I think while we didn't necessarily know the specific sauce that Watsy was going to put into those backgrounds, a lot of what we did leaned that way. Whether consciously or subconsciously, I think we were all knowing where things were going and we wanted to write towards the future. So I think that section is a perfect segue for Cadence. Uh, As regarding Spelljammer, which we got wind of later in the process, but we knew was coming on some level, the secret that we've been that we've already talked about at least a few times is that Josh you had done a couple different uh, spelljammer play tests with Watsi. Yeah, I did right. one of them with you when we were at an event in Maine last November for the races. for and the spelljammer. And we spell had the UA, so well. we knew spelljammer was coming in some fashion. And obviously I think the answer is that the Crusher weapon uh, suite of things we did, back backgrounds, feats, and equipment and mechanics, uh, rules that were written around that, I think they work beautifully together. I think they fit into existing campaigns, whether it's my people are going to get on a ship now, or I want to sail the oceans of Pharaon, or I want to be Corsairs on the Sword Coast, or I want to have an adventure that's not about what happens in Chult, but it's about the adventure to get to Chult and all the ports mm. of call along the way. I think those cruiser weapons really bring out that piece of it. I think it makes ship-to-ship combat great. If you're inland and you're doing a, a siege campaign or a war campaign, I think when your players are running up on a castle and the castle starts raining down with a uh, ballista and catapults, you're going to think twice. <laughs> yeah, um, You're going to find a way to find the secret hidey hole to go in. It's not going to be, yeah, I can take a couple of ballista along the way when you see what we've got coming for you. I think it's going to be really cool. And then manning that same castle against enemies where players get to, Oh my God, people are NPCs are down. I'm going to jump in and help out and really get to feel like there's a piece of it. I think, we're going to see some of those cool scenes uh, I, yeah. that, that just get missed. I just watched Dr. Strange in the Multiverse the other night, and I'm not going to give spoilers, but there's a scene where there's a bunch of crew weapons. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, we just wrote that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, That's
0: cool. Uh, That's cool. And it was awesome. Awesome. Nice. There's actually a crew commander on one of them who's a a, a, na- uh, a named character with speaking lines. And I don't want to give stuff away. But when you when you guys get to see that movie, just know that when I watched it, I was like, we wrote that shit. <laughs>
1: we might, we might <laughs> be taking it this weekend. That's awesome.
0: Not nice. mes- necessarily for that movie. I'm not saying I work for MCU. <clears throat> hashtag right, right. TTJ. But I will say that we wrote something like that. So now you can do those kinds of things. You can play the scene from Commentage
2: net with this book
0: and I think that's
2: nice. pretty badass. That that is that is pretty badass. All right, Glenn, what about you, sir? So, the original question
1: was how would we apply this to either Morticanans or
2: or Spelljammer, Yeah. What part of what, what part of this do you think is most useful in a spell jammer campaign, or with with the lineages from Mordenkainen? I know, so I'm going to go and with neither of us have read through Mordenkainen, so that,
1: that you can totally. Do. I'm going to hit Spelljammer jammer too, but it's hard not to hit off of the things that Leowenika already spoke about because they mm-hmm. they both play in so well. Specifically, since like part of the theory behind when he and I first started spitting the crew weapons around, it was where. Specifically for nautical campaigns, but then when Spelljammer yeah. came out, we were like, oh, we really need to get on this even yeah. more when we heard super, it was coming. space
2: combat, yeah.
1: Right. To be clear there, that part of the reason that's fun is because the way we designed it is each player would take responsibility for their own weapon and team and be the one who their actions are the one that make a difference for that weapon. So they get to take a specific hand in it. And I think people have really like that. When Nico was talking about backgrounds for Mordekanons, that one I could, I would also apply just as much to Spelljammer because we've got three Spelljammer specific backgrounds, not just the Cosmic Stoveway, which I already mentioned, but we also have a ship's engineer and a mm-hmm. ship's gunner. The ship's gunner being a background that ties directly into the crew served weapons and there are feats involved there too. We may or may not talk about those later during favorites. Um, but that whole package can work really well for it. Uh but just getting into the feats, the the different feats that we have can help you customize your character in any campaign more. But yeah, so that's where I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna cap.
2: Yeah. So and I you? am going to I, I'm gonna go to the other side of the book and I'm gonna talk about probably one of my favorite pieces of the book and, and calling it a piece of the book is probably unfair because it's about 15 pages worth of campaign hooks and story plot lines and everything like that at the end of the book. I really love some of the campaign hooks that we came up with for this book. There's a lot of us in this book. There's a lot of the three of us individually in this book, and there's a lot of the three of us in the way that the three of us think in this book. I think that... If you really want to know how the three of us think, go through the section that has those plot hooks and look at the types of stories we like to run and the types of options we like to give. But so many of these stories would work so great in a a, a Planescape or Spelljammer campaign. I thought yours, The Passenger, with all the options about whether or not it's a murder mystery or a spy thriller or an action-adventure story, the way, the kind of, the branch of options that you attached to that, I thought was fantastic. Glenn, I loved the Cage Rattler. All the stuff that you were doing with the city of Sigil and all the the references to Sigil within the book here, but the, uh, the quests that you wrote having to do with the Cage Rattlers and stuff like that, absolutely fantastic. And I know, like, for myself, I had a lot of fun writing the, like, The Bleeding Land I think was probably one of That was one that I wrote, and I really just had a lot of fun thinking through how, as a player, I would handle, oh, I've just been dropped onto this plane, there is this blight that is attacking this planet, nobody really, they all look at it and assume that it's some sort of, like, act of God or whatever, but they don't actually know what it is, and nobody really knows what it is, and... You've got to pick as a player whether or not you're going to figure it out and try to fix it or whether or not you're going to figure it out and try to figure out why it's happening in the first place and which direction are you going to go as a party. And so I, I think that in particular, I thought that the the campaign hooks and stuff like that at the end of the book really can be picked up and dropped anywhere. But particularly if you're talking about something, you're trying to introduce an alternate plane of reality or something like that, there's some really great meat on that bone in in, in that particular chapter.
1: Absolutely. And that kind of reminds me of what I was going to say earlier that I totally forgot, which was that one of the things that I liked best about the way that we chose to write it is that it is so drag and drop. You could take parts of this and work it in anywhere. It doesn't have to just be Planescape. It doesn't have to just be Spelljammer. It doesn't have to just be any particular world. And our story hooks, you're not wrong. They're
0: I, I, I have to agree and almost feel guilty that I didn't go there to start with for earlier questions. When you say they are us, they are very much the games we like like to to run but they're also the games we like to play. The saddest yep. thing and the greatest thing about the passenger is that's the game I've always wanted to play. I have cool. since the very first time I saw a Doctor Who episode which was their take on murder on the Orient Express and the first time I saw the, uh, an old BBC on P, on PBS, version of Murder on the Orient Express or and mm. not to mention every time I've seen Clue and every time mm. I, I think it might be 50 <laughs> at this creepy. point. It's a red herring. I have wanted to play that game in d right. I've never had a storyteller run it, but I've always wanted to be one of the characters trying to figure it out. And mysteries are not easy. I may, it, mm. You can make them fairly straightforward or whatever, but I also like spy thrillers. I like the idea of, dear, I'm being chased. What do you do? You know, what happens when you get roped into this anyway? Is it on a, a lightning train in Emberon? Is it uh, on a ship sailing to some other coast? You've got a captive audience. What goes on? There's a reason why Airplane worked for three yeah. sequels. Beyond it was funny. It was because <laughs> when you contain the action sure to a, a finite a finite place, there's drama built in. Because and, and, you can't go anywhere. Under Siege, the first one worked for a reason snowpiercer as a movie may not have hit huge at the box office but it's a pretty hot series from that's a bad pun there it's a pretty pretty cool series that's a watch that's got multiple seasons because contain the action increase the drama and i just love that one and i think that's the kind of thing that as storytellers if you if you write And run the games you would want to play in. And you run them the way you want them to be run for you. Your passion comes out. And your players will respond to them. Cool.
2: I love it. Hey there, Travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? you can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjuris. All right, Mr. Myers, where do you want to go? So, my question,
1: for the both of you, who wants to go first? You guys get to...
2: I made Lou to go first last time, so I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. Josh's
1: right. turn? Josh's turn. I'll hop okay. on the
2: grenade. I'll, I'll hop on the grenade.
1: Go ahead. When we went through this, some of our toughest calls were things not to include. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I'm going to ask this question. What didn't make the cut that you wish did, even if it's being slated for a future publication? Because some of the stuff that we wrote that didn't make this book because of either theme, needs more work, development... You yep. will get those still later in future publications because some of it was hot, just not ready yet. Yeah, it really was, it um, was very but, hot, yeah. But if it's something coming in the future, just teasers, not full details.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to – I want the record to show that I am being a good guy about this and not stealing Liwanika's. Because I think I know what Liwanika is going to say, and I absolutely agree with him. That's probably the – Kind of like the biggest thing that I I wish was included, but I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna be good about it. I'm not gonna go ahead and I'm not gonna take his. Instead, what I am going to say is, mm-hmm, I'm gonna waffle for a second here. Okay, so I am going to say that we steered away from subclasses and spells for very specific reasons, right? We intentionally said that given the scope of what we were trying to do with the book and kind of the direction that we wanted to go with the book, that we weren't going to go ahead and do those. And I think that it was the right decision at the time, but that I wish that we'd tried. I feel like that we really could have put together some really excellent subclasses for this and that we cut them for space for a lot of other great stuff in the book, but that I wish that we had uh, we'd thrown some subclasses together for this. And now I'm going to let Lee go ahead uh, let him go ahead and uh, and take the mic here and tell the one that I actually wanted to say instead. Before I do that, I was actually going
0: to say <laughs> I believe the best answer and in all fairness, could we have gotten some of those things done? Yes. The problem yeah. is I don't think they would have been play tested and backgrounds are yep. fairly easy to to, and some of the stuff I had play tested. Some of the backgrounds we d- we took care of, like we had play tested in pieces and parts. They don't require a lot of thorough play testing for not as
1: extensive. Yeah, <laughs> it um, was easier sure. to get the play testing off that we needed for the smaller things. Yeah,
0: but yeah, spells, totally. as we learned through some of our interviews, specifically with the crew over at Splinterverse, that if you're going to do spells, you have to make sure that what you're doing is worth replacing something else that they would have access to specifically when you're talking about warlocks that's where the conversation came but honestly when we were talking about this and thinking about it i actually thought about that like how would i know if i would want to take that more than that i would have to play several adventures with a spell how often did it come up in games where people didn't know i specifically had that they would have to know i have it but they and they'd have to know it exists but not create situations for it yep but to know how often the situation would come up using it that's yep. a playtest thing that takes time. And yep. honestly, I didn't think, because we put ourselves into a pretty tight schedule, I didn't think we had time to do the kind of judicious playtesting that we would need to yep. in that short time frame. Totally similarly agree with you. Yeah. Similarly, totally subclasses, same thing. We found just by doing the Bloodhunters class warfare, that's why we're doing class warfare, really. We're taking scenarios, not campaigns, yep. to really quickly say, hey, we talked a bunch of a hoopla, or we talked a bunch of smack about a given subclass. Now let's see it in play. And honestly, that idea came to us from our actual play game where Josh said he absolutely loved a subclass. I said, I absolutely hated a subclass. (laughs) And just despite him, I played it to see if it'd be any good. And it's one of the most awesome characters I've ever played. That was born out of a a big, I'm going to give my my companion, my good friend, the, the big middle finger. And lo and behold, <laughs> that middle finger was yeah. looking right back at me. You yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we I, made the right decision Absolutely. For the quality of the book and the quality of the things we did, but we didn't just throw those out. A lot of the ideas that I was considering, I have just in the last two or three weeks penned. I've had a couple subclasses that I've been ruminating on for a while that I think I'm at the point where once we get a little bit more, I'm willing to start playtesting. And I think we're going to, we're, I can almost guarantee we're going to have them in the next book. Certainly sure. subclasses. Spells, I'm not particularly great at writing spells, but I'm good at perusing and procuring spell lists. So what yep. I found that I did, I think, quite well with one of the ones I'm working on, looking at you, Rangers, was a an additional spell list and what that grabs and what that does. So I think I procured some great spells to add to the Rangers' normal loadout. So yep. there's some stuff coming That I think is going to be better quality. One because of lessons learned in this book, and two because we're going to have a little bit more time between this publication
2: and the the next. And the next one. Yep. Totally agree with you. Okay. Now you get to answer the question. And the question was, "What?" Wait, that was all his preamble. Yeah, that was just him responding to my answer. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Holy freaking crud, dude!
2: Let us be clear: my (laughs) preambles are
1: legendary. (laughs)
0: legendary.
1: I'm not sure legendary <laughs> is the right word.
0: Yeah, I guess my best way of answering the question is I had a couple different things, but honestly, we had some other damage types with the Cruiser of Weapons that for exactly the same reasons, maybe I should not have gone second. You stop uh,
1: talking, <laughs> you make your cute little baby faces.
0: Yeah, I would say this, that for all the right reasons, there are some challenges with the mechanics. We have we have a great base for the mechanics, and we have a really strong idea of where we want to go with them. But those are not gone forever. They're just going to require some play tests to see if they're overpowered or underpowered, if they're over, yeah. you know overwhelming, underwhelming, that kind of thing. So there's some play tests going in. So we took a little snippet out of the crew serve weapons that will show up in future publications, and I think that's okay because it's going to be cool. But we wanted basically other damage types.
1: Yeah, it, it'll be awesome, because it's going to come out in something that it still makes sense for. And it's more than okay. Yep. It was necessary, because there's no way, once we realized... Somebody pointed out a critical error in, in our judgment on something, and once we realized yeah. that, it was going to take far too much playtesting to correct in time
2: for this. Yeah. But that was
1: mine. That was my answer to my question. Oh man, amy.
2: I think it's funny that all three of us had the same, like all three of us look at So listeners out there thinking about this, how often do the three of us agree on freaking anything? And all three of us are like, yeah, man, those additional damage types for the crew served weapons, that's going to be hot and spicy when Dude, we get it right. going to be awesome. We, we didn't quite get it, but man, it's going to be hot and spicy when we do. So be watching for that in later books because all three of us apparently agree. Was there anything else that, that you weep for uh, on, on the cutting room floor there, Glenn?
1: Yeah, I'm going to have I'll I'll fall back to my backup answer cuz I did have a backup just in case. Um mm-hmm. uh, my backup answer would be it really hurt me to take the items that we had that were awesome and they sang. Dang. And the ones yeah. that we chose to hold off for a future publication, um some just because they didn't quite fit the theme, some mm-hmm. To not have too many of one specific type of item, the the, the vertical torque kazat's self inking quill items. and his oh, ever expanding field journal, those were yep. both uh, pretty cool. Yep. You, the
2: the named the named items that you came up with in particular for this, Glenn. I I, I will say uh, again, not to stroke your ego too much here, but huh. the items that you attributed to the many NPCs that inhabit your brain space were fantastic. I so I know so and our the, actual the, play the, table. Yeah, the items for Kazat that did not make it were fantastic, but the items for Sprocket that made it into the book are all awesome. They're hysterical. I I love love them so very much. Kudos to you on those, my friend.
1: Thank you very much, my friend.
2: All right. Lewinika, it is your time for question again. Do we want to go with the big alpha question here? Is that where we're going?
0: I don't know if I had a big alpha question. I think
2: I my alpha. No, the one about making us pick our favorite children. Oh, right. that's we, one of us was going to pick
1: that question. That one wasn't really one that I actually wasn't
0: going to <laughs> gonna go with that one. I, I, I was, I guess you know something else that's fine too. Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm because I'm so jazzed about our process and, and whatever, I guess uh my question is more having got this book and knowing how fun it was to write it and what are the things that use, what's the thing, not your favorite one to write, but what's what in this book is going to be your favorite thing to run as a storyteller? Ooh. Part B of the question is what's the thing from this book you're going to enjoy the most to play as a player. And that can be very different from what was your favorite thing to write or what was your favorite part of the book? Because I think some of my favorite part of the books was actually the store, the, the story hooks. But, I need, yeah, I uh, need uh,
1: clarification on your question. So it had a lot of meat in the end. So yeah. Can so you summarize
0: part one, what's, Your favorite thing in the book that you're going to get to use as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. Part two, what's your favorite thing in the book that you're going to use or implement as a player?
2: Yeah. I'll dive on this one. I desperately want to play a ship's engineer. Desperately, like Mm. with a capital D desperately want to play a ship's engineer i don't know what i want to do beyond that but i could imagine like a barbarian ship's engineer i can imagine like uh, so many different og beat on engine with hammer like that's i can just i have that concept in my head and i just i it Float doesn't quite sing from yet. vikings yeah totally um and so definitely as a player, uh, I would love to go ahead and play a ship's engineer. Uh, again, it's going to take the right campaign. It's going to take the right story and everything like that. But that's definitely what I would like to use as a as a player. And I think that as a storyteller, I would love to go ahead and expose the, the poultice of healing and the, and the crafting rules that go along with those in my campaign. I think that those are – I think that there is a lot of campaign meat on – in that, the questing for certain materials. Are you working for the witch of the woods, who needs certain materials, but they can't go out and get them themselves for whatever reason? And are they? Are is she a hag? Is she evil? Is she just a druid and misunderstood? What is? What's the? What's the duality on that? Where does that kind of sit? Whether or not uh, they're good guy, bad guy, whatever. And so I, I think that that could be really interesting to run with.
0: All right,
1: Glenn. Okay, so very good answers, Josh. I liked both I think, of those. You were like much. straight up right in there with the...
2: Yeah, yeah, these, no, I I, yeah. I, knew the answer to that one, yeah.
1: Ship's engineer? Yeah. You wanted to
2: be? Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah.
1: Not, not Ship's Gunner, Ship's Engineer. Yeah, you were like set Salah yeah. yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
2: No, absolutely the Engineer, yeah. The
1: Poultices of Healing is definitely one I look forward to bringing in as a storyteller as well, but I'm gonna say that actually the story hook that Josh wrote, the Chambered Tapestries, as I reworked the text in that one, it just kept capturing me. By the time you're in this chamber at the top of this tower with all of these tapestries that work as different portals, and There's still a lot of work to do to flesh that out. Like we didn't write Mm -hmm. full campaigns. We wrote you the concept and idea, some background and some ideas on how to expand it. And I wanted to expand this one as I was writing it just because (laughs) of the different, all the different options that it could come up with. So that's my storyteller pick. Nice. Um, That one, that one really captured my imagination. So for the player, that's a tough call. I'd have to be building a character in mind right now to be able to do that completely. It would probably, for the player, I'd probably be reaching into the backgrounds. You know what? Hmm. No, I fibbed. For the player, what I'm most looking forward to is I want to play a character with the Stout Mithril Battle Bow. Mm. Now that it's done and finished, and I want to try it out for my very own hot little self in a campaign in character not just in a playtest scenario to see how well it stacks up to what I was trying to design it to do, which was yep. make a ranger who's using a bow also still effective as a two weapon fighter without having to stow the bow, draw or drop. Basically merging the bow and a fist weapon together. And it play tested well, but actually using it and trying to come up with a character whose story runs around it, I think that could be mm. a lot of fun. And just that bit is going to play into his background and the things that he learned that led him in this direction, whether he designed his version of it himself or how he was connected to this group of dwarves that live in the uh, fountains of creation to be able to get his hands on one of theirs. So that could
0: be a lot of fun. So to answer my own question, I first have to admit to a wee bit of a fib. We talked about how we built this book looking forward. There was one piece of this book, one little corner of this book that was looking back. And it was looking back towards Strixhaven of all books. And that is the background, the Montbank. I wrote that because I was feeling... After we did our recordings and we talked about Strixhaven, despite all of his challenges, I thought that would be a fun campaign to play. Not necessarily run, but I thought it'd be fun to play. And I didn't think any of the backgrounds in the game worked well with that. So I actually wrote that, that came up with the concept for the Mod Bank, and there were some changes that were made throughout our, our editing and creative process. That were not entirely me at all. So it's the final product is amazing. But the core of the idea, which is absolutely true to what I started with, was because I wanted a background that worked for Strixhaven. So I did carve out one little piece. That's my little secret gem. And that's one I would definitely like to play. But So I'll cheat with my own question. And then I'll say the piece that I want to play with the most are... The, sh- the umbral force weapons and the shatter kai mm. i'm enamored with mm. the shatter kai i've got a we have a lot coming for them in future publications there's a deeper story that began in this book that will continue in future publications and i'm looking forward to writing those a lot and as a player i want to use umbral force weapons i think they're going to be cool as a storyteller i have to cheat I've been using the Imperial Dragon Chess set <laughs> in my game for a while. It was actually an item that I had no mechanics for, but was always part of my Land of 18 Seas campaign. So when that came to force, it was great. And now that the book is out, I actually held off on revealing a little bit more about it until after the book released and it came out. So the players in my Monday Night Game who, when they hear, they will now know what I'm talking about. But I wrote this for that game and when we brought it into this book it is the item that i have had a lot of fun with it is a campaign starter that's what i love about it it's a campaign starter and it's really fun it has some great implications or it could in fact be this is how you beat the boss that can't be beaten physically pop this one out it's our own little mini version of the deck of many things it's a whole thing that has wide-ranging good and wide-ranging bad depending on how things shake out and I think that's just filled with narrative juice
1: have you had anybody in that Monday night game yet play out the skill challenge in game for that we wrote out for the for a game of dragon chess
0: not yet. I'm okay. actually waiting for them to do that because the chess set is there. It is actually in the possession of a family member of one of the characters. It was used to start a catalyst, which it resulted in the campaign actually happening and the events uh-huh. that are going taking place right now. So whether or not they choose to try to take that and try to do a thing, I'm actually waiting for that.
1: Yeah, because the Imperial Dragon chest set of the High Court is probably one of my favorite items in the book as well. But Quick, also just shout out to the Montebank. Besides the one that you gave it, having a, a scholar background is what inspired scholar planner studies. So hey, it affected yeah. the book a second time, and we've got another scholar background in there as well.
2: Yep, absolutely. And I think that too. Like when you look at the Montebank, we did a ton of work to go ahead and make that the the background that it became. Like that was we. Your idea was great, and. We really worked well as a team. I mean, we batted that one back and forth a lot to go ahead and really make sure that it was, that it was as, as good as its final version came out there. So a great idea to go ahead and start with Lemanika. Very inspiring and everything like that. you know. And um, even, and then, even and the, the artwork was right one there. of the last
0: pieces of art that we put in the book. Oh, God, um, I know we went back and forth we, on
2: the artwork on that. <laughs> yeah, like
0: we had some early things like, oh, no, that won't work. Uh, yeah. We'll get into that. But we had some others that are like, if we have to, I Oops. guess we could, Oops. but I'd rather it be something else. And it was a lot of effort to find the perfect thing. And then, Josh, you took that to that whole other level. What, what was a straight up picture you put into that thing and made it turn out like
2: a sketch. And it was perfect, yep. like perfect. All right, gentlemen. Let us head to the the ultimate question here. Each of us, we have five minutes left, so each of us gets to name one thing: our favorite child, our favorite thing in the book. Glenn, you I'm going to go it?
1: first this time. Yeah. It. It? So, my favorite thing in the book. And yeah, this is impossible. Like we've said a couple of times, you're asking us to pick between all of our children. And some of these aren't just like my baby or Josh's baby. They're like me and Josh had a baby (laughs) with Lee Wanika. (laughs) All right. And it created all of these children. So awful. It's tough to do, but I'm (sighs) going to give it a shot and I have to go with for my first choice. And yeah, I'm going to cheat bitches. I got to go with the (laughs) poultices of healing. That one really was a labor of love. And this one night, And I don't remember when it was about halfway through its second incarnation, I wound up just going down this rabbit hole with it and worked on it all freaking night long. And then it turned into an explosion of back and forth and it came out really good. And for those of you who haven't gotten the book yet, we've talked about it a little bit, but poultices, poultices of healing are basically a non-magical means of healing that work over a short rest. They didn't originally, but I love that change about them. And you can There are rules in there to find the materials and craft them yourselves as opposed to having to buy them. They're pretty cool. You should check it out. Yeah. But I do also want to throw out there that in recent books we've noticed that hit dice, which is your current method of recovering hit points over a short rest, seem to be becoming an expendable commodity in other backgrounds and things as we've recently discovered. So an alternate non-magical healing method over a short rest, I think that was accidentally very well positioned because we had no yeah. idea they were about to have you start spinning your hit dice on other things.
2: <laughs> yeah. Zero idea. So, on that. That yeah. Really, and that's a fantastic point there, Glenn, actually, because we really had no idea that was coming. This predates the UAE where that was mentioned. And yeah, see it in here. We, so.
1: we just got lucky on that one. We um, really did. Yeah. But then I have two other quick favorites just to throw out, but they're both really quick. I loved mm-hmm. all of the uh, art searches and the art manipulation that I got to do. I think my, my, my skill as a graphic artist in general is growing. Mm-hmm. Making the cover was a great challenge. And just the picture manipulation and the fun, like Josh, you turning the that one into a sketch. We did some Mm -hmm. reverse, some reverse imaging on a few of them. It it was just a whole lot of fun to effectively be a three-man art director team on a book. That was something I've never really done before, and it was that was a riot. And I really enjoyed learning to make stat blocks. I'd never made proper stat blocks before using a stat block tool. That was a good time.
2: All right, all right,
0: Mister Miller. My number one favorite thing. So many. Honestly, it's the stat blocks. I think we made things that are going to be fun to run. Yeah. Uh, I really love the stat blocks we did. We put a lot of time and effort. Uh, honestly, I would say easily two weeks extra went on to the length of time before this book was produced that wasn't probably initially thought of was within our original time frame, but uh a good two weeks or a good two weeks was just imperfecting the stat blocks, learning how some of the numbers work, getting a really good feel of the CR system, which would the not CR, have worked yeah. if it hadn't been for a year's worth of class warfare or half a year's yeah. worth of class warfare. And knowing that and, and learning to trust the CR system. I gave a lot of flack in earlier episodes about oh, CR's bunk. It's not all that good. But as we did, as we did class warfare and recognize the limitations, obviously three, not four, four is the optimum number, that types of thing. We found that the CR system was actually fairly accurate as far as whether a challenge was deadly or not deadly. And we're finding out that to be even more so now that we have guest hosts like Scald and some (laughs) of the future hosts we're going to be bringing on. I think it's actually learning to trust the CR system but understanding its limitations made for better stat blocks. If you're out there homebrewing, trust the system. but Get some tools to help you. There's some online tools that'll help you with it, and really position things. Yeah, some of those tools don't bring in everything involved, but know how that works. And then know how your players work. I've run some better, and not even involving these, I've run some better combats because I have a better understanding of the CR system now. I think at some point we're probably going to have to do an episode where we really dive into that And stat block construction or use of stat blocks, when to use what abilities, what's too much to have, what's not enough. I think there's uh, a good DMs toolkit episode in in that. But I loved writing the stat blocks. And Josh, it has not been mentioned at all during this episode. And I think that's a tragedy. Your work in bringing the fourth realm to the tabletop journeys and this publication Mm. was brilliant. It was not something I would have thought of. It's not something I would have done, but I absolutely loved every minute of it. And I was proud to have the opportunity to add additional mouse rings and add Mm. some flavor to the pendulum. And there's even more to come. Like we spoke about the Shatter Kai. This is not the end of the Fourth Realm stories. We've got more stuff coming. Um, oh, I'm very excited
1: man. for the, with the direction the Fourth Realm is going and some of the uh, things that we've come up with it, there. That's it gonna it be a is whole utter brilliance.
0: And if I stole your thunder, I do apologize. <laughs> nah. Roll with that thunder again because I think <laughs> what we did on the Fourth Realm was just awesome.
2: No, I, I appreciate that. The Fourth Realm is probably of the, all the storyteller hooks, that's probably the one that I most want to run as a storyteller. That's I can see that story going so many different directions, and Luanika in particular, I think that given the level of political intrigue that could be involved in that kind of a story with which side do you back and who do you, you know, are the mouse rinks, gorillas trying to go ahead and take over the, peaceful, the otherwise peaceful humans, or are the humans uh, really the oppressors in that trying to go ahead and Commit genocide or whatever, whatever big world kind of intrigue you want to run. I think that you would run the hell out of that story, uh, given your storytelling style, with the level of intrigue that you like and everything like that. So I, I, I appreciate you mentioning it. It is, it is an idea that I lifted from it's like Stravinsky said, good composers borrow, great composers steal. It, the Fourth Realm is a concept that I absolutely lifted from another place, but brought to D and made a, into d and D centric thing. But that is actually not my favorite part of the book. My favorite part of the book is more of a conceptual thematic character of the book. The three of us like to laugh and the three of us like to laugh at each other on some level, but the three of us love to laugh in general. We really have a great time talking about this stuff and doing this show and and talking about books and everything like that. I love some of the very subtle bits of humor that we put into this book. I think about some of the little snippets from the traveler, the voice of the traveler. Glenn, you did such a great job really making sure that the traveler had a unified voice. And some of the observations that he puts in this book, very Tasha-esque, where the traveler is making these witty observations about things in a very kind of in a very funny way. The Oblivion Mind Bleach in particular just got whole like This thing's really gross, but it's also really cool. I think was positioned really well. And I mentioned this kind of in our pre-show notes too, that, and I mentioned this, I think uh, when I was on Hope's show talking about it about a week ago, um, I, I love sort of the pop culture references that made their way in here. References mm. to Quantum Leap and references to Star Trek and references to to music that we like and everything like that. They they are in here and I don't think that they're particularly subtle. I think that they are that they are Not very really, much no. uh, in your face. Look, for, th- there's a character here named Beck Samet, okay? That's a Quantum Leap reference if his name was it's Samuel Beckett. Yeah, yeah. It a show. yeah. it's Beckett not that old a show. Come on, it's not, that's not that old a show. Come on, it's, it's the, Moncom- say, Montgomery the, win- the Montgomery, Montgomery time, or the Montgomery time. Oh, totally, right. yeah, yeah. That is one of the things that I think, and again, we talked about this at the very beginning of the show, but that I am most proud of is that the three of us as people and as a group are in this book and really things like that really they make this book mean a lot i think to, to me in particular is that really i think that is very representative of how the three of us think and how the three of us put things together and what we want what would we want in a book what would we want to see in a book and so that kind of uh, that kind of high level like out, almost out of character sense of humor wrapped in a veneer of seriousness is was a lot of fun to, to put together all right, gentlemen, with that note, uh, let us uh, call it an evening. So if you want to check out the Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, uh, you can go to www.ttjourneys.com. Right now, there is a pop-up on the TT Journeys website that will give you a dollar off the book if you click on it. So go ahead and uh, check that out. Otherwise, go to DM's Guild. If you search for Tabletop Journeys, you'll see all of our publications available right there to go ahead and uh, and purchase. Uh, Glenn, you mentioned the Traveler's Guide to Collaborative Worldbuilding earlier. We have some other stuff up all there right. that's a lot of fun uh, to go ahead and check out. Yeah. Check it out. We'd love you to go ahead and get it. And we want to hear what you think about the book. We'd love to hear how you're using it. We want to hear how you're taking these stories and making them your own. Cause that's really what we aimed to do is to go ahead and give you a way to t- what's in our brains and bring it to your table. And we want to hear how you use it and, and what you do with it and everything like that. So please comment. Email us, send us notes on Twitter. You know how to go ahead and reach us on that. So we'd love that, to go ahead and do something hear how totally
1: doing. crazy, write it and review it on DMs Guild.
2: That would be fabulous. If you buy the book on DMs Guild, please leave, leave, leave a review. We would love to go ahead and hear it uh, and see it there. And before we do our final sign off here, I do just want to go ahead and give one final shout out to our amazing editor crew. Glenn, I know you worked really hard on po- polishing up the the stuff that Lewanika and I were throwing at you for mechanics and story wise. And then Trish and Marty, not only friends of the show, but obviously a uh, huge influence in making sure that this book uh, came out as good as it did. We really appreciated the amount of time they spent on reading this and trying uh, trying to piece together what the three lunatics on this side of the microphone were trying to say. Really, Trish, Marty, couldn't have done this without you. Really appreciate you. Okay, that is our show for this week. Uh, next week, we begin uh, in earnest some of our Eberron content. We're going to talk about pulling up some uh, home some elements from Eberron The Last War that you can go ahead and bring to your table, even if you're not running an Eberron campaign. Uh, so that will, be, uh, that will be our show for next week. And also next week uh, begins the first episode of the D20 modern Patreon AP game, The Spy Game, run by Mr. Miller bum, over bum, there. Bum, so that's going to be our AP starting uh, on the 24th here. This coming right, Tuesday, yeah. if you hear this episode. Yeah, so that's a good time. I've been I've listening some of the uh, some of the pre episode stuff. Uh, so that's that's a good time. So anyway, all that to say, gentlemen, thank you as always. Appreciate the uh, the time tonight, and uh, everybody out there listening. Appreciate you uh, hearing out well here. Check out the book. Let us know what you think. We'd love to go ahead and hear it. Yeah. After take care, all that, everyone. Though, Have uh, a wonderful uh, night. Yeah. yeah. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts... Maybe even appear in one of our actual plays. You can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. If
0: you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we did you shade and sweet water.